0: With technology today, you can literally escape into another reality just by putting on a VR headset. What if instead of using technology to escape from our problems, we could actually use it to improve our brain function? Virtual reality has the potential to tackle cognitive illnesses, enhance learning, and even diagnose neurological issues. What are the scientific principles behind all of it? And is it an application of technology that's really viable or just another gimmick? With me today on the show, THT Ambassador Nathan Moore speaks with Amir Bozogzadeh, the co founder and CEO of Virtual Leap, a company that's pioneering the use of virtual reality in neuroscience. In this episode, we talk about the evolution of the VR industry, focusing on increasing serious applications across healthcare, education, and wellness, how Virtual Leap is carving a niche in cognitive monitoring, therapeutics, Diagnostics and digital biomarkers, and what you need to know about the current cognition crisis and how technologies like VR can offer solutions. Collaboration starts with a conversation, Team Health Tech. Let's make it happen. This is Talking Health Tech with me, Peter Birch, featuring content and community about technology in healthcare. Between now and the end of June, we're conducting the 2024 Talking Health Tech Audience Survey. This helps us prioritize content, hone in key messages, and refine the show to make it even better. We also want to understand who the biggest cohorts of our audience are, so I'd love for you to take 5 or 10 minutes to have your say and complete the survey. Everyone who completes it goes in the draw to win a share of $1,000 worth of THT Plus membership credits, to put towards a membership for yourself as an individual, or to help get the word out about your company. The link to complete the survey is in the show notes of this episode, or just go to talkinghealthtech.com slash survey.
1: Thanks for joining us, Amir. It's really great to have you to chat today. Could you give us a bit of an overview of Virtual Leap's mission and how you guys are utilizing technology to address cognitive illness disorders and learning challenges?
2: Yeah, thanks for having me, Nathan. Leap was founded in 2018. It was about four years of stealth development, really the combination of emerging technologies like virtual reality and what can they do when you combine them with neuroscience, like bleeding edge neuroscience, and specifically we create products that are about addressing cognitive illnesses like Alzheimer's, learning challenges like ADHD, but also general cognitive health. Can we unlock the neurosciences, make it accessible to the general population, as well as at-risk groups, give this like superpowers of virtual reality, which it does have specifically in healthcare? And most specifically in helping us improve our brain health. I would like to unpack a little bit. I did a little bit of LinkedIn
1: stalking before we did this. And I'd love to unpack a little bit more of your background and actually what led you to this point. So I can see that you've previously founded companies in gaming and social impact before moving into VR and neuroscience. Can you share a bit about your journey of how those experiences have really shaped this current venture and what you're doing now?
2: I sometimes feel like a fraud when I... Um, given a question that requires a narrative to retrospectively put the puzzles together as if it was some Hollywood movie. But it does feel sometimes like you have some impulses in certain directions that thankfully you get step-by-step in your early 20s, your career, your awkward, my at least very awkward period. And, (laughs) And I knew I loved technology. I loved technology when it was applied to social impact. When I did some forays into startup ventures in the earlier days, late 20s and then early 30s, it was always social impact. And they were experiments which kept on giving me more signals of where I thought was the most exciting part that got me most alive. That's always been the driving force. I wanted to get into virtual reality because somehow I realized that I could use this technology to treat my vertigo, my fear of heights. And that made me a believer My next step was I have no background in it. I was a market researcher, I was a games publisher. How do I get into this sector where I have no business being there? And I decided to write for VentureBeat and TechCrunch, specifically on VR for about three years. Wrote about 80 articles. Whenever you wanna talk to a big wig in any company, if you're saying you're writing an article for a known publication, their ego and vanity will open the door. And that allowed me to soak in a lot of insights. I realized within those three years that the only critical applications for VR was when it addressed healthcare or education. And our company, thankfully, addresses both. Mate, you are singing from my songbook. There's fantastic
1: stuff. Even just that reflection on the journey and we look back and go, oh, look, all these pieces did actually set us up for something, but it's not like it was a strategy or a planned thing. So that's really cool. I guess just jumping back to the VR technology piece, you mentioned the superpowers. I'm a big believer in the, the power of VR's use in healthcare and education. Obviously, I mean, you've been writing on it. You know, this as a technology, VR has been evolving really rapidly in recent years and garnered a lot of attention, particularly in the last few years. What are the significant evolutions you've seen in the last few years that have influenced your adoption of virtual reality with Virtual
2: Leap? Why now? Yeah, because it's like the third, maybe by some people's metrics, the fourth wave of VR. Our scientific advisors include Walter Greenleaf of Stanford VR. Albert Skip Rizzo of UCLA, both individuals were my age or younger doing the same stuff in many ways back in the nineties. If you want to go even farther back, Timothy Leary and the psychedelic group of even Terence McKenna were the guys who were like real proponents of VR back in the eighties and even earlier. So what is it right now? And this is from my point of view, a true inflection point in which this wave is not a wave. It's a new body of water that is mainstream across various applications that are the serious use cases. So on the healthcare side, education side, as well as the corporate wellness, productivity, HR side, these are the areas that are true mainstream sectors at this moment. The games area, which is so lucrative, and that's why the big OEMs like Meta and Pico and HTC focus on them. They're not the critical use cases, but they're also the ones that get so much energy, even though they're not really mainstream. They just keep on pumped with money and hype. So my point of view is, especially right now, at the cusp of the fall coming up, where Apple is about to release, it's been like 10 years of people saying they're going to come out with a device, and now they are. A true mixed reality device and the Meta Quest 3, this is a new device by Meta, Is coming out in the exact same period with also AR capabilities. This is going to be a very big event. The main thing you've got to do is not pay attention too much to the journalists. My experience is they are just groupthink. They'll say VR is dead like they did in 2018. And they'll say it's alive. They're so fickle. And then VCs, they're also not to be trusted either. Don't listen to either of those groups. If you're in this sector, the ones I love the most are the technologists and the researchers, the people with real actual Anchorage into this sector and a mission. They're the ones to always listen to. But unfortunately, sometimes they're not the loudest in the room. Yeah, no,
1: I, I hear you, mate. It's a healthcare provider working in VR research at the moment. There's a lot of noise in the space. I think for me, that really seeing, like you highlighted it, the Apple, the Quests when they came out, these standalone devices with significant processing power that we could use untethered in locations of our choosing like that for me, was that real magic point that we saw that, you know, VR dead 2018. we then got a Quest 2, a uh, six degree of freedom headset we can walk around with.
2: Yes. Yeah. But you it's... said there, people were calling three DOF, three degrees of freedom, yep. freedom headsets five years ago. They were calling that yep. VR. It's not VR. Yep. And now this Quest 3, by the way, is going to be half the weight of the yep. Quest 2. Huge for healthcare, yep. huge for at-risk groups like senior living populations and the like, where this technology, in fact, is booming in many respects in in markets like the US.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I guess all educational healthcare modalities, we've always got to remember, right tool in the right place. There's lots of other ways we can deliver education to our patients and things like that. So for you in virtually, what are some of the unique features of VR that have made you adopt this over, say, traditional screen-based medium or, or other ways you could support these patient populations?
2: If I were to murder someone and then get (laughs) investigated by the police, maybe they would still use that amazing device. The upside of that horrible moment in my life would be getting finally to use a lie detector test. And there's a part (laughs) of our body, our system that doesn't concord, doesn't agree with what we want consciously to say. So there's a discrepancy between the body and that there's an intelligence in the body that we're unaware of, that we're unconscious of. And those areas are connected to our autonomic nervous system, our vestibular balance system. When I Why was I able to treat my phobia of heights with VR? Because my body, my knees would buckle and shake when I was standing in a virtual environment because my brain, whoever you talk to, they'll probably invariably say that about a large amount of your brain's processing is devoted to the visual sense. It is like a master sense. And when you give it an alternate reality, other senses basically cascade and believing, actually believing, not persuaded, but really believing that they're in that world. There's a split reality. And that's why hospitals use it for pain management. Why VR for pain management? Because the pain receptors in the brain significantly dampen when you trick the visual sense. It hijacks the whole body from head to toe. It is the first embodied digital format. And cognition regardless of how much glorification we do on the body right now, everything is about the body in a one directional way. Good body, good mind, but no other angle. We do some light talking in the new age networks of cult leaders and stuff, but we really say what you do in the mind also has a psychosomatic impact in the ways that those awesome Pai Mei Eastern mystics used to always say mind and body is one. That's the reason. And especially with cognition, I say cognition is embodied. Neuroscientists, I think they're always confused like physicists of actually what's going on. It's a huge ocean. And VR needs to be the way to use digital formats because it engages everything. Our body, our physicality, our gesticulation, our physiological side, everything comes in one device. The Talking Health Tech podcast has evolved a lot over the years,
0: all based on audience feedback. Now I need your help. Yes, you, to shape the future of this show. Between now and the end of June, we're running our biggest campaign to date in order to understand what makes the global healthcare ecosystem tick. Last time we ran our Talking Health Tech audience survey, we learnt 40% of our audience are clinicians, 77% of our audience tune in for professional development and market awareness, 8% of people listen to Talking Health Tech for competitor profiling, and only 2% of people Listen to the podcast to fall asleep. And this time around, I can't wait to find out about your preferences for audio versus video content, which topics we should dive into more, preferences for hosts and formats and geographical reach and so much more. And don't worry, we'll be sharing all the insights once all the responses are collected as well. So if you're a supporter of Talking Health Tech and you can spare five or 10 minutes, please complete our 2024 audience survey. And to say thanks for your input, everyone who completes the survey goes into the draw to win a share of $1,000 worth of credits towards THT Plus membership. Go to TalkingHealthTech.com slash survey or the links in the show notes of this episode as well.
1: And it leads really nicely to where I was hoping to take this conversation now. So thank you for that. You mentioned before when you were talking about the neuroscience and this intersection between VR and its impacts on cognition and neuroscience how are you actually in virtually taking advantage of this interplay? What are you doing for your patients?
2: Our data infrastructure for those four years, we created the front end content. The front end content being the exercises designed by neuroscientists, collaboratively working with groups like Stanford and UCLA and MIT to make sure the science is correct and then designing it with game developers. All that's the front end, that's the content, that's what the user sees. But on the back end, we've been building up a scalable data infrastructure that combines all those areas, those dimensions. I'm engaging those aspects of the human right beyond the conscious side. I'm also engaging the body and the emotions and as many senses as I can in this multi-sensory, ecologically valid experience that is intuitive to us. But I'm also capturing on the data side, those elements. So we have a data infrastructure that is bare minimum capturing about 250,000 data points every three minutes. And that's a combination of the psychometric, psychological data from the content, the physical data, the gesticulation data, the postural data. I think I saw a study about a year ago came out. that said that spinal alignment can serve as a biomarker towards predicting Alzheimer's disease. So we're collecting the XYZ coordinates. And we were pretty much one of the only companies that are still actively using this device called the HP Omniset. We worked with HP where they had a headset that had physiological sensors like people dilation tracking, heart rate variability, skin connectivity. And we have an active algorithm running right now. That MIT ran a study last August where they were able to, in our VR platform, know whether someone is focused, bored out of their mind, stressed out. They were able to track in real time the cognitive load. So just imagine All the therapeutic abilities, all the capacity to capture so much depth of data in order of magnitude more data, but also what kind of biomarkers, what new generation of digital biomarkers can we feed into and recreate? Can we see in the subtlest things that are not available right now in digital formats in the data, something that in our 30s, maybe our late 20s, something that we can just not alert you like, shit, you got MCI, you're screwed, versus subjective cognitive decline, be before that. Right. And just having that number of data points that you'll
1: be able to reflect on, and the stuff we won't even know we're looking for that you'll be able to draw correlations from, it's fantastic stuff. Really fantastic. As I mentioned before, I was doing a little bit of prep before this interview. And one of the things I came across when I was reviewing it was this concept of a cognition crisis, which was new for me and sounded somewhat alarming. Can you explain a bit what you mean by it and how the, your VR technologies and virtually can be leveraged to address this crisis?
2: Maybe a year ago, two years ago, I stopped having my, what is it, imposter syndrome acting up <laughs> on me, and now I feel quite assured about certain things that through pattern recognition of my life of 39 years, I can say I'm seeing history repeat itself before it does something. You know, I can see the way we are reactive to things. If you call climate change or this or that, you can see it across wherever you want to see it. Where people just don't want to see a collision. They want to hit it first and then reactively address it. And one thing I can see very clearly is this TikTok gamified mechanism that is screwing around with our dopamine levels of especially younger generations. It is deteriorating our sustained attention skills in the most deceptive way. It's like it's under our feet, the sand is shifting and we're not even noticing what's happening. Kids that I run into are not even interested in being able to watch a 30 minute Netflix video anymore. I mean, we got, they got to have three minute dopamine hits and they got to keep on swiping. And it is now spread across every social media platform. And we need to get up front of this. We need to create technologies that alerts us to what's happening, what kind of ways in which we can measure this and create some closed feedback (laughs) way of feeling empowered again in the face of it there's a lot of ignorance and i think in about five years nothing i'm going to do is really going to stop us from hitting this i believe we're going to hit in about five years we won't be saying who has adhd we'll be saying who doesn't definitely an insidious thing coming so i guess you've described what it
1: is and they said you don't think you're gonna fix it in five years but i mean you are clearly passionate with what you're doing you've got some great technology behind you so how is it helping to address this crisis though What is
2: Virtually doing that helps to rectify some of this insidious challenge we're seeing? We're very healthcare-oriented as a company, obviously. We have a lot of clinical studies right now happening across therapeutic areas like ADHD. And I think it's a therapeutic when you have a cognitive deficit. I don't think our technology is going to allow you to become smarter at all, really, if you have a good, healthy, wholesome life. I believe when you've got chemo brain or long COVID or TBI or something, then it can help you get back, boost you somehow, right? I'm talking about a cognition crisis in which I think everyone's going to start having cognitive deficits, even when they should not, because of the way that these digital mediums are consuming us. They're literally eating us, eating our attention. Our technology, on the one hand, when you play all of the 15 games we currently have right now, when you finish them the first time, the benchmarking session, we call it, it plateaus you at the level that you basically are capable of any of these particular categories of cognitive skills. So for example, you play these 15 games, you have a map of your cognitive fingerprint given to you in terms of your strengths and weaknesses across 22 different cognitive functions. That includes spatial orientation and motor control skills and spatial audio awareness and you get your fingerprint, for example, where you're above average, below average, pretty much on average point based on our scoring system. And that gives you kind of a report of 20 plus pages as a student. And we're really going to be targeting this year, K-12 private high schools, educational institutes, universities, and companies productivity and wellness programs, because that's where we think as a non-medical claim oriented approach, give this technology just to give the awareness of people's skills. Yeah,
1: yeah, nice and establishing that baseline and, and somewhere for us to start looking from. That'd be really cool. I mentioned before I'm playing in the VR space myself at the moment, so I understand whilst there's a lot of power behind it, there's also a lot of real scalable challenges with the use of virtual reality. I guess from your perspective, what are some of the challenges that VR is currently facing and how are you a virtual elite working to overcome some of them?
2: A lot of things would be much easier if meta and the big players really just switched up with their approach to this industry and really went much more serious use case first and killing zombies in VR second. If they did that, I think this industry maybe a few years ago would have been in different footing even right now. And the revenues would be much better because they're chasing phantoms when they chase the B2C sector only. The retention levels, they don't share that even with us. It's not professional even, this sector, the way it's being given to us. So that's not going to change. I think they're going to keep on going towards B2C as the main approach. Maybe with this device, they'll give enough resources where they'll see that they should be giving a lot of effort on social impact use cases, these kinds of things. The biggest scary thing for me with VR ultimately is whenever there's a new hype cycle, like what we're about to see with Apple's launch, which will happen, a lot of cowboys come in with really badly made VR that also gives us a very bad look. But the thing about VR is I think it's a double-edged sword just like any technology. And what I mean by that is that it could cause a trauma just as much as it can cure one. I think accessibility design has to be at the forefront of something that's not just a best practice, but really needs to be enforced. We yeah. can create all those levels of nausea that were created with the 3DOF devices, all yeah. those things. So many of them was based on bad content. was yeah, based absolutely. on every team needs an accessibility design yeah. expert <laughs> at the ground yeah. level. You need to know, can you have accessibility settings for colorblindness, for font sizes, for colors and shades that can trigger different people's comfort levels? Can your games adapt to a mobility restriction use case like ours do for people in wheelchairs? you got to think about the human condition and you have to respect it. VR is not a digital format to be created on lightly. Particularly in that digital therapeutic space, these are the people we're trying to support. That accessibility
1: has to be front and foremost. And... The snake oil salesman, the hype men behind some of this stuff just coming in with I've got they're coming. solutions for problems. Um
2: They're coming. I feel them. Uh, I feel their breath behind my <laughs> neck right now. You're just preparing to make some good, quick money. It's time to make some money off the people who are suggestible, uh, right? It's sickening to be honest when it comes to yeah. healthcare sectors, but they're there.
1: We've talked about some of the challenges and I'm with you. We need to see that actual enterprise focus and this here's how we scalably have an architecture that supports that. But Let's jump back to Virtuality for a minute. So tell me a bit about the future of Virtuality. What is the next big thing you're working on or just something that's got you, gets you out of bed in the morning that you're doing with Virtuality?
2: The way I've been talking, maybe you're nodding because you're one of those strange people that actually likes me, but I'm not a very sure. popular person in the VR sure. sector for what <laughs> comes out of my mouth. I don't have that many friends in this sector. People might respect me to some extent, but only because I'm a cockroach that refuses to die. And we went through this period of four years where we could not make a dime because we were constantly in development. We would not release anything early. We would have to do all the proper approach to working in the best practices and the protocols of a healthcare-oriented company before we could commercialize. So luckily, we had supporters during those periods. We were a Rocky Balboa movie. At this stage, we're now at a point where we're ready to commercialize and We're almost finished raising a late seed round. Thank goodness we were able to find the right kind of VCs on board. We have a a little bit left. There's anyone listening in this podcast. I'm going to do one shout out if there's any particular super angels and investors that want to. We have about 10% left of the raise that we're trying to finish off in this horrible month of July, August. But the whole point now is to commercialize and commercialize to K-12. We have a second product called CogniClear, which is being currently designed with our partners Roche, the pharma end as a diagnostic for subjective cognitive decline, even a precursor to MCI, can we use the sensitivity of data of VR to be able to be the most sensitive screening tool for cognitive impairment? And we're trying to work with all sorts of big groups, but at the same time, create a sales approach that we can help the generation that I think is the most susceptible. And if we don't do that now. We won't be prepared in time, I think. we got to get before the cataclysm. I know it's like really doom and gloom, but that's how I feel about technology right now. It's something that parents, I think everyone I know that's a parent, they can see it. Teachers can see it. There's something going on right now that's ChatGPT. all these things. They're all signs. They're writings on the wall. We need to start thinking about what makes us human. What's strong? What is the most important part of us? And I think cognition, Bill Gates said it the best. It's the one thing that scares him the most is when his brain stops
1: working correctly. Absolutely, an admirable goal. I'm loving the sound of that new project as well. And you mentioned it, like making it accessible as well. And that's something I'm really passionate about. You can have all the great ideas in the world, but if no one can access them, what's it going to do? Or if only the rich. I love that idea. And there's
2: also Nathan that the stigma to brain health. There's a stigma. People do not. On the one hand, you got US and the market is crazy. Like I heard 7,000 bucks for an MRI scan under one healthcare plan, what the hell? But even if you could afford it, do you wanna go? I'm a little bit claustrophobic. You know the stigma, the taboo, we gotta remove that because right now that taboo keeps us from approaching something that is not a monster. It's only a monster when you put it in a dark closet, when you tuck it under the rug. We need things to breathe. Certain chemical processes can only exist in the absence of light. Light is knowledge. Light is awareness. Light is what technology like VR can do in a really good way. But VR cannot be pervasive. It's not where you meet friends unless you really have that issue in your life. It's for short, surgical, invasive experiences that you can go like right into the target that problem and then you can transcend time and space, transcend your barriers, get back to the beach, get back to your hike, get back into the beautiful real world that we're living in.
1: I guess we're going to wrap wrap this up a little bit now. So for those interested, I'm going to throw back to the technology approach here. And I originally thought VR, but you've discussed a lot of things here. So for any emerging clinicians or entrepreneurs or people just interested in the space, what advice would you give to those interested in harnessing some of these technologies for their own health and wellness?
2: Just start. Quest 2, for example, is a really good price point right now. There's a lot of initial experiences that are meditative in orientation or collaboration-oriented, productivity-oriented. There's some good stuff. And yes, you can go play some cool VR experiences that are really novel, like climbing different landscapes, things that are physical and really involving your motor control in tandem to novel cognitive experiences. But you got to just, especially depending on your age, we do get fossilized into habits and patterns. We start to give ourselves a self selfie. No, we don't start to. We have this really embedded us very early on. But as we get older, my opinion is we start to really solidify the self-image of who we think we are, what we're capable of. All those things we start to like group in. We have a frame of our fictional selves, yep. and it is fiction. We can stretch out of that. Neuroplasticity tells us we can stretch out. So do something reckless a little bit versus your self-image. Buy a product you can afford right now. Half the price of any overly expensive smartphone. Try some content. Surprise yourself. Just surprise yourself with one thing. Like right now, tomorrow. That's what VR is about. It's about novelty. It's about surprising. It's about neuroplasticity. And neuroplasticity requires you to also go against the grain of yourself.
1: Yep. Absolutely. Every person I've talked to who comes to me and asks this stuff, how do we get it? Just, again, just get started. Just try something. You'd be amazed what that, yeah, that neuroplasticity, like you said, just thinking about how to tackle things in different ways. And we can't think of different ways until we expose ourselves to different ways of thinking. Thank you so much, Amir. I've genuinely enjoyed geeking out in this conversation. I love what you're doing. I love your energy and virtually really exciting stuff. So thank you so much for your time.
2: Nathan, I guarantee you, I come on these kind of podcasts, but this is the highlight because I can feel it. I can see it in your, especially when you're in the industry, when you have the background, I'm not talking to a civilian. I'm talking to, I can tell, a Navy SEAL of the VR (laughs) industry. So I wish you also the Godspeed on everything you're up to. And I hope we can even have a opportunity to meet in person sometime in the near future. Absolutely, mate. All right. Will you take care? Thank you, Nathan.
0: Hey, thanks for sticking around to the end of this episode. If you made it this far, you're the perfect person that I want to hear from. Our THT Plus audience survey is now open until the end of June. And I personally read every submission. In fact... If you leave a comment in the survey that you heard this promotion in a podcast episode, I promise I'll reply directly to you by email with a personal note of thanks, and I'll even buy your coffee next time I see you in person. It's pretty easy. Just go to talkinghealthtech.com slash survey and have your say. For more content and community about technology and healthcare, visit talkinghealthtech.com.